You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. This episode is brought to you by Palo Alto Networks, the leader in cybersecurity. As AI-driven attacks increase, organizations can't afford to have network security that's stuck in the past. Discover how Palo Alto Networks can help you predict what's coming and proactively secure against it with a zero-trust, AI-powered network security platform built to secure whatever, whenever, wherever. To learn more, visit paloaltonetworks.com slash network security platform. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. So uh, we were actually not looking at ransomware. We were looking at a tool uh, that's being misused by a lot of bad guys these days called Cobalt Strike. That's John DiMaggio. He's a senior threat intelligence analyst at Symantec, a Broadcom company. The research we're discussing today is titled Sodinokibi, Ransomware Attackers Also Scanning for POS Software Leveraging Cobalt Strike. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-plus-year partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. So Cobalt Strike is a legitimate pen testing tool. It's used uh, essentially to test an organization's security posture uh, so they can decide if they need to make changes to their defenses and how to best protect. Well, what we found was uh, a lot of ransomware attackers, enterprise ransomware attackers specifically, were uh, leveraging that. And, uh, and using it to, to get the initial foothold uh, on, on organizations before they uh, deploy ransomware. So by looking at these uh, sort of rogue deployments of, of, of this Cobalt Strike tool, what we found is, you know, we, when we started to look, we found, oh, this looks kind of interesting. And we started to pull some threads and we started to see, okay, well, they're using this Cobalt Strike tool and, you know, now they're moving and they're using, you know, a lot of the legitimate tools within the network and, you know, they're 
dropping specific files, looking to turn off certain services. And long story short, it really built out a profile that was very familiar to us. Um, at that point, we believed it was one of the enterprise ransomware attack groups that we uh, have, have been following um, or, or, or tracking and uh, just sort of profiling and, and looking at those behaviors along with um, sort of the tools that they were using, we were, uh, we were able to identify that this was a much larger scale attack. It took a little bit, but once we uh, eventually we were able to find the payload, the ransomware payload, and that really is the biggest differentiator between, um, you know, the handful of, of enterprise uh, ransomware groups that are out there, you know, they really do follow the almost the exact same steps when they're in networks. They're very, very similar these days. Get in, use legitimate tools, go unnoticed, try to blend in with administrative traffic. And it's not until they drop their payload that they give us something unique, usually to identify them. Um, so we try to profile these groups. We try to build a, a, a digital fingerprint of them, per se, uh, based off of the tools, even legitimate ones that they use, the order that they use them in, um, any behaviors that we see, as well as their malware. Uh, the thing about it is, you know, these these enterprise ransomware groups um, – you know, they, they're human beings behind the keyboard and they all spend time in the environment prior to actually engaging the ransom piece. That's the last thing that they do. Um, there's a number of things, though, that were unique to this group that uh, really made them stand out from other groups. Um, but in, in, in an essence, it's not TC that ransom pay, payload at the end that you can really know who it is. Um, but there are some some good giveaways uh, that give you a clue that this is a ran enterprise ransomware attacker. And Obviously, that's the biggest concern to a lot of organizations these days is is ransomware. So uh, it just set off a lot of uh, of alarms for us, and, um, and we started alerting customers and and uh, were able to prevent uh, some of these attacks. Um, mm -hmm. One of the big things that differentiates this group, however. Um, there's sort of a, a minor and a major point that, that are very different. So minor point, um, which is very interesting, was they were looking at um, point-of-sale devices uh, and software uh, in, in organizations. That's a little bit different than what we're used to seeing. But the other thing um, that's really unique, uh, there, there's a couple groups doing this, but not many. Uh, and the, the, this Sodano Kibi groups is, is one of them. They're actually not just encrypting and holding your, your data. That If you don't pay, they're threatening to... To, uh, to, to post that publicly on um, sites like Pastebin and other um, publicly available infrastructure to embarrass the organization, to hurt their customers, uh, to hurt their credibility um, in order to force them to pay. So it's not – they don't really care how they get an organization to pay. Maybe they don't hit the ransom that they want, but they're going to do what they can, whether it's taking advantage of your point-of-sale software, whether it's – posting and or selling your data, um, or and if you don't do any, they're just going to embarrass you. So that makes them, in my mind, a little bit more dangerous. It's sort of like ransomware, enterprise ransomware 2.0. You know, we're seeing this change and, you know, there's a couple of groups doing it, but it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see that trend increasing uh, over the next year. Well, let's walk through some of the details together. Why don't we start with uh, with Cobalt Strike? Can you give us a description of exactly what is that capable of doing and, and how do they uh, implement that to, to get what they're after here? Sure. Uh, so as I mentioned, it's a, um, it's a legitimate tool. It's used for legitimate pen testing. Um, but what it does is it, it allows the – let's just go from the perspective of how the bad guy uses it. It, it allows the bad guy to load shell code onto machines. Okay, once they do that, they actually can load it into memory and then they can compile – 
like old school compile uh, manually uh, the shell code. And when they, that's what they're doing. They're using um, uh, PowerShell, which is already in the environment and comes on most Windows systems. They're using that to download, uh, to run PowerShell scripts in memory of the victim system. So it's not even, it's fileless. It's not even on the system. So it makes it much harder to detect is the, um, is the reason I'm, I'm pointing that out. And it downloads it. They compile it, and once they compile that code, now they actually have um, Cobalt Strike. Um, and that can be used for quite a number of, of purposes, everything from creating a reverse shell so that the attacker can now log in and access the network themselves, you know, human on keyboard uh, access, um, or it can be used to upload and download um, other binaries so they can they can download uh, other malware if they want. And that's one of the main ways that we see where uh, often they do obtain the, uh, the ransomware payload. They can download other tools. Uh, however, However, I got to say, we usually, or, or with this group anyway, uh, the main thing that we see is they try to use the tools that are in the environment first. And that's actually really smart on their behalf because it makes it harder to detect when they blend in with your legitimate traffic. Um, the one key to that, though, is you know, if an organization has their security controls and their um, their access sort of locked down and who has certain permissions locked down, only administrators should have those tools. Um, so it, it, in essence, you wouldn't have to look at every machine or every user account on, on your uh, infrastructure in order to monitor that, but you would have to look at your administrators and see what they're doing because that's the tools these guys are using. Uh, hmm. If they can't leverage those tools, then they download other things. So we might see them download like Mimikatz, for example, um, which is a tool that's also publicly available, free, and used by pen testers. So they'll download that to uh, to obtain the credentials off of systems in the environment to uh, to increase their privileges. Uh, but one thing about that, you know, what we used to see is bad guys would have their own custom malware, and the advantage to that would be. You know, be something we haven't seen. They might have a better chance of getting past uh, defenders or security software that, that catches this stuff because it's something they, that's brand new and never been seen before. However, what they've learned over time is, is the industry has gotten better at detecting those things just through the behavior of it, whether it's a new binary or not. They've realized that they can use the legitimate tools. And the when they can't, like in the example I just gave with Mimikatz, the benefit of that is even if we catch you, anyone can download and use it. So it makes the attribution and using it for evidence and pointing a finger at someone much harder because anyone in the world could download it and use it, even though it's uh, it's being used maliciously. So it makes it hard for attribution and it benefits the adversary. Now, one thing you noted here in your research is that the uh, the initial exploitation usually comes through uh, brute forcing, um, taking advantage of uh, remote desktop protocol. Yeah, so that's a uh, that's a big one. Um, that uh, they, they essentially they they scan uh, for systems that have uh, that port open, and if that port's open, then they use again publicly available tools can be used um, to sort of brute force and try to uh, uh, obtain the correct uh, the password or brute forcing the characters and words and, until they actually get one that works. Also, it depends. There's there's two ways that they use that. Sometimes they'll use it on publicly facing infrastructure. So that means prior to having access, they'll do this. And it's really bad when organizations have that open on their on their external infrastructure. But you know, with business needs today, sometimes shortcuts are taken, or or there's just a necessity where uh, organizations is willing to take that risk. Well, these bad guys are looking for that, um, and that's that's one of the things they exploit. 
But one of the other ways that they use it, and um, this, this is, is also unique, is once they have another method, let's say they use spear phishing or let's say they find some other vulnerability on your public-facing infrastructure to get in. Once they're in, they'll scan your internal network because a lot of organizations feel safe on the inside using that. It makes administrating components easier, um, server administration, services, everything else, and they feel safe because it's on, the in, on their internal network. Well, once the bad guy has access, it's again, it's it's very easy to exploit, and that's why they do that. So whether it's on the outside, which is worse, or the inside, it still allows uh, adversaries to use that as a mechanism to uh, gain a further foothold and uh, increase their their privileges and, and escalate their ability to, uh, to 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 hurt the organization or to plant malware or ransomware or to steal your data or whatever it might be. And these folks seem to be really targeting uh, specific organizations. They're they're trying to to maximize uh, the possibility for payback here. They are. Um, so one of the things that they do is um, they really assess their victims. And what I mean by that is. They want them to pay the ransom, obviously. So they try to assess what is what is an amount that we think this organization can pay where it's not going to be unreasonable. It's it's not going to hurt them financially publicly, but it's something that'll be easy enough for them to pay and worth our time to do the attack for the bad guy's uh, value, the return on value. Because like I said, they're spending time. We're, we're seeing anywhere from 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 three to seven days where they're, they're on the network prior to actually uh, executing the ransom piece of this. Mm. Um, so they're, you know, but by, by doing that, they're, they're there for a while, they're investing their time and they look at like how many servers they have, how many domain controllers they have, what types of servers are there? Are they file servers? Are they running services? Are those services for their internal or for the external? So what I'm getting at, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm pointing that out is they literally do an assessment of the victim. Uh, the more infrastructure, the more services, the more uh, resources that they have, um, as well as publicly available information on uh, if they're you know on their profit margins, things like that. All those sort of things they take into. Um, consideration when they, or it appears they take that into consideration because you'll see from one victim to the next, um, you know, there's, there's, there's the differences in the ransom they ask. And it really appears to be, they're actually assessing and, and they want to give an amount that you'll actually pay. Hmm. Now, once they decide to pull the trigger and activate the ransomware, what happens next? So uh, at that point, um, just being direct here, you're, you're in a lot of trouble at that point. Um, the hmm. time to, 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 to act is, is, is when they're on your network for those three to seven days to stop it. Once that happens, um, at this point in time, the encryption that they're using uh, is not something we can defeat. Um, we not just – I don't mean my company. I mean anyone. Uh, it, it's 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 it, it, you're not able to decrypt it without that key. So if you mm. don't get that key, you're never going to access that data again. You're going to have to rebuild. Hopefully, you have offsite backups or whatever your backup plan is. Um, but you know your actual systems that data is encrypted. They they actually go in and delete any local backups um, or any backup servers that they can identify. So you really need to have a complete separate network with your backup data. 
data, but they go in and delete that. Um, they make sure that you're going to be in trouble. Um, so once that encryption process takes place, I mean, that's really all it is. They're just encrypting data. And I say just because that's we use that every day in the world for legitimate purposes. Um, they're just encrypting it and they're using an, encryp an encryption algorithm that at this point in time hasn't been broken um, so that they really uh, have the ability to, to force you to pay or spend a lot more money having to rebuild your, your network infrastructure. And like I, I mentioned, these guys take it a step further. In addition to that, they're going to embarrass you publicly and, and try to hurt you and uh, your public image um, by posting you or and or your customers' data. Um, they, they, they literally will try to pressure customers to, to call and be upset with the uh, – with the organization, you know, they'll actually post stuff on forums like here's data and they'll post a message, you know, company X was warned, they refused to pay and now your data is not secure, uh, yes. things of that nature. So they, they, they really put a lot of effort to, uh, to hurt you if, if you don't pay. And that's why I said it's kind of ransomware 2.0. It's, uh, it, it's scary how they're evolving and the things that they're doing because it's one thing to lose access to your data, but then it's another to have to deal with a public relations aspect, especially if you're a publicly traded company. So uh, it's mm -hmm. definitely a, a scary world uh, with, with these, these types of attack groups. What sort of insights do you have on, on the exfiltration part of it? Um, I'm curious. So one thing I, I, I wonder about is do they, are they encrypting first and then exfiltrating that encrypted data or are they sending the data in the clear? Do you, do you have any uh, insight into that? Yeah, no, they're they're encrypting the data. Now you got to remember they have the key, so right, it's, right. it's very easy. And by encrypting it, you know when it's going out the door, it blends in with you know you, you other encrypted data and communications right. and protocols that you yeah. a defender would naturally see. So not only does it blend in, but it also isn't going to set off any alarms or, or, or whistles or anything like that because it's encrypted. So um, you know they've already owned the network by the time. That's what I was saying. By the time the encryption takes place. Place. They have gained. They have now have legitimate accounts with um, legitimate administrative permissions, and they are coming and going. They've got re they've got uh, remote access. They're coming and going into your network, and yes, <clears throat> they're stealing that encrypted data. They have it. They unencrypt it on the back end. They look through it. They find what they consider the high value data, and and that's what they use um, to embarrass. And they don't just po post it all. They they threaten. Hey, you're going to pay us if you don't. We're going to do X, and then they'll give you a sample, and they'll post just a little bit, not enough to hurt you too much, but just enough to show that they're for, that they're for real, that they're serious. Mm. And um, and then if you still don't pay, then they you know then they do a lot more damage um, by releasing that information. But uh, but yeah, they they try to give the uh, the opportunity that their goal doesn't appear to be to embarrass. It's not a revenge thing. They don't want. To, I don't think they actually want to post the user's data. They just want them to pay. Period. Um, they pay. They they don't post the data. Um, but if they refuse to pay, then yeah, then they go all in and try and hurt, and hurt the organization as much as they can. And uh, what what's their track record? Do, do you know if if people do pay, do they get their data back? So this group is not. Um, let me answer that from the aspect of so, so there's not a ton of enterprise ransomware attackers out there. There's a bazillion mm. you know elements of ransomware, but the actual organized enterprise ransomware attackers, there's maybe a dozen of them, um, and that's really not a lot when you think about uh, you know from a global perspective. Um, right. So so when we when when most of these guys when you pay, they know it's going to be a very public event that that 
you've been attacked and that you're being held ransom. So most of the the track record for most of the enterprise um, groups is they do actually provide you the key after you pay. And the reason they do that is, again, this is their job. It's almost a business. They are they're not just regular criminals. I mean, this is what they get up and do every day. They're um, they're professionals, you know, um, that they're not run of the mill criminals. They just want the money. It's not personal. It's not revenge. They want the money. (laughs) So what they want to make sure that the next victim pays, too. So, yes, they they they've usually they the, the track record for enterprise attacks is to provide that key if the victim pays. So what are your recommendations here? I mean, what, in what at what points along this attack path do folks have an opportunity to stop it? So that's really, um, I think, the best kept secret about all this that I think really needs to be uh, d- discussed more. Um, one of the things we're looking at right now as a project um, is, is that I'm working is we're going through uh, all these these enterprise ransomware attacks over the last year, and we're looking at the what we call dwell time, the time on network between initial access and when they execute the ransom. And I can tell you that most of these groups, it's less than seven days. Um, hmm. This particular group was three to ten, but most of them, the average is is, is less than seven. Uh, so it's right around a week on your on your network during that. Time time. Um, every day they increase their foothold. But during that time, that is when you have the opportunity to stop them. That is when you have the opportunity to to detect, deter, and um, and get them off of off of your network and resources. The thing is, we as a as a culture in, in, in the uh, in the industry, we, we, we're just very reactive. So you know, defenders, it's just the mentality, and it's slowly changing. But the mentality is to be reactive, um, mm-hmm. and this requires a very proactive um, hunting aspect to your defenses. And what I mean by that is, you're not going to find them if you're just looking for something to be flagged as malicious. Uh, you have to look at the legitimate tools, administration tools, and how they're being used on your network. You know, we talk about, uh, this is going to be really basic, but separation of privileges, not allowing anybody to have all the keys to the kingdom. Um, If you really segregate uh, the tools that are in your environment that are legitimate um, administrative tools to only be on systems and available to legitimate administrators, well, now you're talking maybe 10, 15% of, of your daily activity that you have to monitor. So if you were to just do a, a random audit of that, um, let's say you look at you know 10% of that activity every day, just doing that, you're going to dramatically increase your chances of identifying things like this. But that window of time when they're on your network, when they're using legitimate tools and publicly available tools or any sort of pen testing tool that's being used, that is what when you need to, to prevent this. That's the window of opportunity. Once the execution of the ransomware happens, to be honest with you, it's too late. You're really uh, in the control of of those attackers at that point. So is is my my understanding correct here then that, you know, rather than looking for, you know, a a piece of malware, a piece of code, because as you say, they're they're living off the land. They're using tools that would normally be installed that, that wouldn't draw attention to themselves. That what you really need to be looking for are particular behaviors, particular activities that that might be out of the ordinary. Exactly. Um, so things like they use a legitimate tool, and this isn't just this group. One, I'm going to give you some examples that are common across many of of these dozen or so. Uh, 
enterprise ransomware attackers. You know, one of the, the big things that they use, PowerShell and a tool called PSExec. Um, mm. Both are, are used for administrative pur- purposes. PowerShell is extremely um Powerful, uh, no pun intended, uh, and and it allows them to you know to to run these these scripts and it doesn't even they can even set schedules to run them to to do different various tasks. Um, but what they do then with the PS Exec tool is that's what they actually use to drop and to spread everything from um, ransomware to other tools and components. They also use what's called bat files, which is just a basically it's almost like a text file with with a set of, a, a stream of commands that uh, you run on the system, um, mm-hmm. and they'll use this tool to deploy that. Um, but things like that you can flag. Like that's probably well, well, yes, that could be flagged as typical. But looking at that and looking at, at these files, well, if you would actually just open that file, these bat files in a text um, editor, you'd see that they were searching and 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 trying to identify security tools and firewalls or whatever it might be, things of that nature. There's usually a list of, of, of all, and this is again, common with all these groups. There'll be a list of specific things that they're looking for um, that are shared that we sort of see used a lot. So that's not really something your regular administrator is going to be doing. So mm-hmm. watching this tool used to drop these files, just taking a look and seeing what they're doing. Again, just auditing the legitimate stuff. It sounds difficult, but that is the mindset that we have to get if we're going to start catching these guys. It's not necessarily spending a, a business zillion dollars on you know security tools and everything else i'm not saying that you don't have to have a strong security budget and, and security posture but what i am saying is with, even with that that's not that's not what's going to catch these guys you have to have a human being going and looking at the legitimate traffic there's tools and software to help with that as well but you can't just wait for a red alarm to go off to say hey there's malware on your network because that's not what they're using you got to look at the legitimate activity as well you know, I, I know, John, you, you and your team, you know, spend a lot of time looking at, at this sort of ransomware, but also, you know, many of the other flavors and, and indeed, uh, you know, different variants of, of malware. I mean, is this, is this the shape of things to come? Is this, should we expect to see more of this? Is this the direction that, this professionalization of this, is this where you sense things might be headed? Uh, yes and no. So it's definitely where we're we're headed, but it's not just the everyday criminal that can pull this off. And what I mean by that is, it it, it takes several, it, t- it takes multiple people, um, it takes a lot of coordination, um, and it takes a lot of discipline to not make mistakes. So it, it's that's why I said that they're professionals. What they do. Um, certain times, the tools that they use, not using regular malware, spending the time on the network, learning it, going undetected. It's sort of a discipline um, that, that these attackers use. And again, it's very organized uh, in the profiling, the figuring out who to ask for the ransom and, and who not to and how much and figuring all those little details out. Um, but that's the piece why I said that, you know, it's the way we're going, but it's not as easy where you're going to see it blow up to where it's, you know, everybody, every, every average criminal is going to do is because it is actually a difficult operation to execute. And it does take a lot of time and work. If you're someone who has a regular day job, you're not going to have time to spend seven to 10 days every day going into some uh, someone's network to try to identify this activity. So this this is all these guys do. They, they're professional. They know the tools. They know the environment. It's not the first time they're using them when they go in. They're uh, well-rehearsed. 
um, you know, and, and they really seem to know what they're doing. Now, one way, though, that you could – unfortunately, we're not doing this, but one way that, that would really deter this is if everybody just stopped paying. If they knew that it was less likely that an organization would pay, you wouldn't have all the – you know, all this happening. You wouldn't have new groups popping up. Um, you wouldn't have them spending the time and resources to come up with new infrastructure and new creative ways to uh, to own an organization. But most pay, unfortunately. They're, it's always recommended not to for that very reason because if everybody stopped paying, this just wouldn't be as lucrative and, and these guys would go find something new to do. Um, if you recall, uh, you know, there's, there's there's other groups out there that have sort of evolved, um, like there's the Evil Core group um, sort of evolved. They used to do being the banking Trojan business and now they're an enterprise ransomware uh attacker. So they, they, they transitioned. They do what they, they can to get the money. That's really what it's about is the money. As I, I've mentioned that several times, and I do that because with a lot of attackers, it'll be personal. They'll want to hurt an organization or whatever it is, or they'll have some sort of a hacktivist reason where they have a cause and they want to cause embarrassment. That's not what these guys are doing. It's all professional. It's all about the money. Everybody, I want to take a few minutes here and talk about our sponsor, Splunk. You know, you need to keep operations humming around the clock, but potential disruptions are everywhere. Splunk helps you predict problems and find and fix issues fast so you can reduce risk and ditch downtime. The world's largest enterprises rely on Splunk's unified security and observability platform to become more efficient, resilient, and innovative. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com slash resilience. Our thanks to Symantec's John DiMaggio for joining us. The research is titled Sodinokibi, Ransomware Attackers Also Scanning for POS Software Leveraging Cobalt Strike. We'll have a link in the show notes. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.